morning, everyone. Today's passage is from Habakkuk 3, verse 17 to 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will make joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but it has been interesting to uh, watch a lot of these changes that have been happening in our country over the last number of weeks. And and I don't just mean all the isolation measures, though that that has been interesting in its own light. I I mean in the way people think. I I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's been a big shift in, in how people are thinking nowadays. Think about just six months ago. If you had asked someone to give up their vacation, don't, don't go on that trip. In fact, don't go to the sports games you were planning on. In fact, I'd, I'd like you to shut down your business. Could you please give up your, your personal, your business goals for the time being? I mean, that kind of a request would have been unthinkable for most people. It's interesting because we would have said, well, how, how dare you tell me what to do? It's my right as a free individual to, to self-autonomy. And yet today, it's almost unthinkable not to do those things. Right? We, we have changed very dramatically in, in how we are thinking generally as Canadians, as a society, as our circumstances have changed. Right? It's amazing just the ability that, that just a change in what's going on around us can shift how we are thinking, how we are feeling. Right? It can happen as uh, a society at large, but it can also be happening to us as individuals. Right, parents, for a lot of you, your kids are not going back to school tomorrow. That's going to be a big change in, in how you do things, and, and it's very easy to let that change how you are thinking, how you are feeling about what's going on. Right? We, we are staying home, and so we end up feeling alone. Right? We, we get laid off, and we feel helpless. We don't know when this will end or how exactly it's going to happen. And so we feel like everything is spinning out of control. It's amazingly easy to let our circumstances dictate how we are thinking and feeling. Well, this morning, I'd like us to have a bit of a different response. In fact, I'd like us to be rejoicing. Now, that might seem like a bit of a a shift, especially considering the sermon series we have been walking through for the past number of weeks. We have been looking at the book of Lamentations, right? If you've been with us, you'll be knowing we've been talking about this language of lament. How do we respond to the the sin, the evil, the sickness that we see in our world? And, And a right biblical response at this moment is to lament, cry out to God about all these things, but I'm going to say it's not the only biblical response. And this morning, what I'd like us to do is look at another response the Bible has to the sin, the evil, the destruction that sometimes happens around us. Lamentations is written about what happened when the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem. And this morning, we're going to look at another perspective on that same event. So if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to open to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 is where we're going to be this morning. So if you don't have a Bible, feel free, just hit pause on me and uh, go grab one, find your way to Habakkuk chapter 3. It's kind of in the middle to end of the minor prophets in our Bible. 
All right, I'm going to assume everyone now has their Bible. And so now that you found your way there, you can see that actually this is the end of a uh, passage. It's not only the end of a chapter, it's the end of the entire book. Right? This is the conclusion that Habakkuk comes to at the end of everything else he's gone through. And so I'd like us to actually pay attention to this. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And it starts off really as bleak as it can be. Look at verse 17 with me. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the field yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Right, it starts off with this very destitute situation that Habakkuk was facing. He was going to be losing everything that he had. All of the produce of the uh, fields would be gone. Figs, grapes, olives, grain, everything they would have normally eaten on a regular basis, they would no longer have. It would be stripped away. In fact, for many of you I know who are farmers, you're probably actually far, uh, far more ahead of the rest of us city folk at a text like this. See, this is more than just having sort of an empty pantry for the moment. This is a lot more serious. Habakkuk talks about having the uh, flock cut off from the fold. See, for many people at this time, they were farmers. And so to have no flock meant you had no job. To have no fields with food in them meant there was nothing coming up. To have not even a, a herd in the stalls, little lambs or, or uh, calves growing up that were going to be there meant you actually not only lost your job, you lost your investment, you lost your savings that were going to come up later. You're left with really nothing. So to put this into our language, it means not only is there an empty pantry, not only is there nothing in the grocery store to buy, but you've actually lost your job and your savings, your investments are gone. See, this is what Habakkuk was going to be facing. It was this moment of being destitute, of being unable to actually provide anything. And see, while we're not quite there yet, we are starting to get a taste of that, aren't we? We're starting to get a little bit of a taste of what it feels like to begin to lose things, right? For many of you, you might have been experiencing a bit of a shortfall in your normal pantry. You started to, you know, get out those, those random can of beans out of the back of your pantry. You don't know when you bought it, but hey, we'll, we'll try and use that now, right? If you've been to a grocery store and you've seen empty shelves, there's actually nothing left in certain categories, and, and you're not sure where you could even get some. I know many of you have actually lost your jobs over the last week or a couple of weeks. Nearly a million Canadians have applied for EI in the last week alone. Right? That's going to mean we're going to start dipping into savings and other types of things. We're starting to get a little bit of a taste of what this feels like. It's not really that hypothetical anymore. I know we've often talked about, you know, going through times of suffering here at Central, but, but now we're not talking hypothetically anymore. In fact, we're talking about what we are going to be facing here very shortly. And so the question is, how do we respond in these circumstances? How does Habakkuk actually respond? Look at his response, verse 18. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. 
See, Habakkuk's response is not despair, it's not hopelessness, it's not fear, it's not worry. Actually, it's rejoicing. It's about as far away from worry or concern as you can be. It's not that he's just sitting there neutral. He's actually rejoicing. He's celebrating because of what God has done. This is not some sort of maniacal laughter or dark humor at how bad things are. This is a genuine understanding of the truth of how bad things are, yet a steady joy in the midst of unsteady circumstances. He's not rejoicing because of how bad things are. He's rejoicing despite how bad things are. And so this morning, what I'd like us to do is just ask two really simple questions. First of all is how did Habakkuk get there? How did he get to the point of saying this, right? This is the conclusion to the book. So how did he get there? Secondly, how do we get there? How can we be rejoicing in our circumstances? So if you have your Bible still open, just just flip one page back to Habakkuk chapter one. We're just gonna really quickly walk through how did he get to this point? Because actually, if you look back at the beginning of chapter one, you're gonna notice he doesn't start off rejoicing. He actually starts out complaining. He's upset because God hasn't been doing enough. He comes to God and says, God, why aren't you doing anything? Habakkuk lived in Jerusalem before the Babylonians came and destroyed them, and he was looking out at the city, and there was tons of problems going on. The people were obsessed with idolatry. There was murder. There was extortion going on. And Habakkuk said, I'm sick of looking at all of this. God, are you doing anything? And God responds to him and says, actually, I am. You can look at verse 5. It says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, Babylonians. Right, God answers Habakkuk's complaint and says, actually, I am going to be doing something, but you would not believe what I'm doing. I'm actually going to bring the Babylonians and they will wipe out all of Jerusalem. And God's right. Habakkuk can't actually believe it. He responds to God and says, whoa, 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 you're going to do what? You're sending the Babylonians to destroy us? They're worse than we are. Why are we getting judged? You should be judging them. And God responds again and he says, oh, I will. Actually, in fact, everyone is going to face my judgment. And here now Habakkuk realizes he's sitting in a bit of an awkward spot. It's a little bit more uncomfortable than he realized. He was coming to God and saying, you don't care about justice. And God responded, actually, I care even more than you do. Habakkuk wanted just some of those people to be judged. Deal, deal with their problems. And God's response was, actually, I'm going to deal with everyone. Everyone is actually going to face this. And so now Habakkuk realizes he has a different concern. He has a different concern, and that is, how is he going to make it through that judgment? But see, God has something more to say. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, probably the crux of the entire book. God says this, Behold, his soul is puffed up. This is talking about the Babylonians. His soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Here is the key verse in this entire book. It says that the promise is for, that those who trust in God shall be saved. The ones who will escape the coming judgment of God are those who place their faith in him. And so here is the first reason Habakkuk has to rejoice. It's because that no matter what happens, nothing will change his salvation. Salvation is from God. 
It is fixed in God and what he is going to do, not what we can do or not what our circumstances are like. Salvation is of God. In fact, Paul picks this same thing up in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he writes this. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul here is quoting Habakkuk and he is saying that the same way in which Habakkuk and the people of Judah can be saved from the judgment of God is the same way that we are saved from this judgment. See, the truth is all of us are going to face God's judgment. We're going to come before God and we'll give an account for our lives for what we have done, both good and bad. For every angry thought, for every harsh word we have spoken in the last week as we've been cooped up with our families. But the good news is that Jesus came. Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life and he went to the cross in our place. He took the punishment that we should have taken so that anyone who believes in him would be saved. And Jesus didn't stay dead. No, in fact, he rose again to a new life. And so the question is, if Jesus can promise eternal life even through death, what have we to fear? Even death itself cannot separate us from God, let alone anything else in all of creation. Why is it that Habakkuk can rejoice when he is losing everything? Because he's not going to lose everything. He will not lose what is most important to him. Though he even might die, he shall not lose the salvation of God. God's salvation is not in jeopardy. That's why he says, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That is the promise for us. No matter what you go through over these next weeks or months, no sickness will take Jesus from you. No empty shelf will keep him away. Nothing can take your salvation. So rejoice, be glad, celebrate, sing for joy because of what God has done. See, the loss of everything else will begin to shine a stark contrast to what cannot be lost. Though everything else is being canceled around us, everything else seems to be shutting down, our salvation is not canceled. Even if we can't gather here together as the church, we can still gather together before the throne of God. We are not shut out. There is one who does not distance himself from us. No pandemic will ever take God from you. For those who believe we have this confidence, we can approach God. Because of what Jesus has done, our salvation is secure. So rejoice, be glad, no matter what is going on, that has not changed. But in fact, Habakkuk has even more to rejoice over. We can rejoice in our salvation because it's from God, but we can rejoice because God is at work. Habakkuk begins the book by complaining that God isn't doing anything. Right? He starts off and says, God, you're not doing anything about all that's going on here. And God's response is, actually, I am. Even if you can't see it, God has been at work, even though the answer wasn't what he thought it might be. 
God is at work. See, one of the biggest problems that that Israel and Judah had been dealing with over the, the many years was this obsession with idols. Right, making these, these idols, worshiping, sacrificing to them, trusting that they would save them at the end of the day. And God is actually going to do something about that problem. In fact, as he sends in this invasion, as they trust in their idols, they're going to be seen very clearly that they do not work. Chapter 2, verse 18 in Habakkuk says, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. See, God was going to use this to show just how useless these idols actually were. He was going to showcase just how much they did nothing. They're nothing more than just a scrap of wood. In fact, if you look at the history of of Israel and Judah going forward from now, actually, you're going to realize they actually learned this lesson. They didn't have the same problem with idolatry that they did before this. And so God is actually doing something that we often don't recognize. He's got more purposes than we sometimes realize as we're going through it. So it would be foolish of me to try and stand up here and say, well, this is what God is doing for us right now. But but let me just share some of the things I've already seen God doing. See, I've been talking with many of you and you've been telling me about how during this time, because you have so much extra time, you've actually been able to get into your devotions. You're not having to drive to work and so you have extra time in the morning to be able to read your Bible, to actually pray and you've had a lot more reason to pray in these last couple of weeks. It's actually a good thing. I've heard from a number of you who have been doing more and more family devotions as there's no more lessons and practices and and whatever else going on uh, in the evenings. You actually have time together as a family. You've been able to open the word of God together and, and walk through this. Pastor Chris has been working on resources for you, so I encourage you, use that. Take this opportunity, take this time when everything else is quiet to be able to come together as a family and worship. A number of you have told me about coworkers, neighbors who have been suddenly opened up to talk about all manner of things about the faith because they never had been before, right? Suddenly, now that a lot of the things they trusted in are starting to crumble away, they're curious about what doesn't, right? Take these opportunities. These are good things. God is opening up doors for us to be able to share the gospel in ways we never have before, There's a greater opportunity to serve not only one another here in this church, but our communities as well. As people can't leave their homes, as they're looking for just someone who is across the fence, a neighbor to talk to, let us step up and take those opportunities and actually be able to serve God in ways we hadn't been able to before. God is doing things even now, even in this pandemic, God is at work. Ephesians chapter 5 says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. The truth is, we we live in evil days. There is sickness all around us. Let us consider how do we make the very best use of this time, because God is at work. He is doing things in our lives. We've said it before, but but hear it again. God uses trials in our life 
to actually build us to be more like him. He uses these trials to open up avenues, even in other people's lives, to be able to share this gospel, this good news of Jesus that isn't taken away by a plague. This isn't the time for the church to panic. It's a time to rejoice over all that God is doing. Even as the shelves empty, God's work goes forward. So be looking for what God is doing around you. Look for how to engage and serve and reach out with this good news of Jesus. Let us rejoice because God is at work. Sometimes it's just a matter of reminding ourselves. God is in control. God is sovereign. He is still on his throne. Though we might not always understand why these things happen, we know the one who holds all things. So let us rejoice. Let us take joy in the fact that God has not lost control. Finally, Habakkuk ends the book with one more reminder, one more reason to rejoice. It is because God is with us. Look back at verse 19 with me. It says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. See, the image that Habakkuk is using here is of, of a mountain goat. If you've ever seen these goats, and it, they'll be walking just up the side of a sheer cliff. I have no idea how they're doing it. They're, they're being able to, you know, grip onto tiny, tiny little ledges, and they simply walk up as if nothing was wrong, sitting there way up, halfway up a cliff, and they seem completely unconcerned about what's going on. See, that's the image that Habakkuk has here when he says, when God is my strength, even though it feels like I'm halfway up a cliff and I should be tumbling down to my death, but God establishes my steps. He holds me firm. See, that's the image that Habakkuk wants us to realize here. Even though things are going crazy, God is our strength. Even though it looks like we can't make it, he will hold us fast. Habakkuk can rejoice and celebrate in the midst of losing everything because he knows it is God who will carry him through. God will not let go of him. God will not depart from him. This is not a promise of ease. It is a promise of strength and God's presence with us. Hebrews chapter 13 says this, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? See, this is the promise for us. God will not leave us or forsake us. God will walk through uh, all of this with us. I, I am sure this isolation is going to bring in a lot more challenges in these coming weeks or months, however long this lasts. Right? As you try and work from home, as your kids are homeschooling in the next room, and it's been weeks since you've been able to get out and talk to anyone else, and you're feeling a little bit cooped up, and you're starting to get a little bit more you know, annoyed and bickering with your wife, and things are starting to get off the rails at that point, would you remember God is with you? God will be your strength. God will walk through this with you. You are not alone. So here is the hope that we have. God is still our strength. Learn to lean on him more and more. Learn to trust him more and more in these times as we are going through it. Would you please learn 
seek after knowing this trust in God more and more. We are not alone. Even in our isolation, we are not isolated. God is with us. So rejoice. Celebrate the fact that God is still at work. Celebrate the fact that God is with us. Celebrate the fact that our salvation is not in doubt, even now. The very last line of this book says this, to the choir master with stringed instruments. Right, the book ends in worship. It's a call for the people of God, the nation of Judah, to remember even in times of trial that God is always with us, that he will be our strength so we can rejoice and praise and worship him. See, the truth is we can be rejoicing in a pandemic. We can even celebrate in sickness. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Don't hear me being glib or, or trivial about all of this. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we have something greater than the pain, greater than the loneliness, greater than the concern, greater than the sadness we shall face. Our God is still in control. He is working his purposes that we might not know what they are. He will not leave us or forsake us. He is our salvation and it is not in doubt. Let's take time to remind ourselves of these things. Take time to thank God that he is at work, that he is doing these things in your life. Take time to pray for your neighbors. Take time to worship, to actually sing out loud, to begin to praise God, even in your homes, that your neighbors might hear and wonder what is going on, that you could rejoice at a time like this. Might your faith be seen in your celebration and your singing? Might this actually be a time when years from now we can look back and say, was there not such great blessing in the pain? Was there not so much more of God that we saw as we leaned more and more on him? We saw that he did not forsake us. He did not leave us through all of that. Church of Christ, lift your head. Rejoice, your salvation is not in doubt. Rejoice, for God is working even now. Rejoice, for he shall not leave us or forsake us. Let's pray, and then let's worship together. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us, not for a moment. Lord, I, I pray, would we learn to lean on you? Would we learn to put you first in our lives? That we would seek out ways to serve you even now? That we would be paying attention to how you are working uh, in our life and in the lives of those around us? Father, I pray, strengthen us in your salvation. That we might not lose hope because of what is happening around us, but with eyes fixed on you. We would rejoice, we would celebrate, we would be glad for you are our king, you are our God, and you are our savior. We pray these things in your name, amen.